and welcome back to the Y Hockey Periodical talking about the NHL entry draft in October because 2020 is the worst year ever. Although this draft was fun. Uh, of course, joined by Tommy, who's had a great draft. Y Hockey had a fantastic draft. And we're going to be also joined tonight by somebody who's going to make us smarter about the draft. Will Scout, Scouting, I cannot wait. This is going to be one of the most fun podcasts we've ever done. Will, welcome to the show. How are you? Oh, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, I'm doing well. It's uh, it's a weird time immediately after the draft, trying to, I guess, recover, but also quickly turn around into 2021. So a little weird, uh, a little unprecedented, but, you know, taking it day by day. Well, we did watch about eight hours of that draft last oh, week, which was just yes. an absolute train wreck. I mean... <laughs> I, because I, I, we've been to drafts, and the second day goes by in like three hours, and I, you wake up like, wait, it's done already? And then this one yeah. took eight hours, and you were just like, come on, guys. There's too many SpongeBob jokes I had to make on that on that Wednesday, <laughs> but, it's, but it's okay. So I, I want to start by, again, playing a little traffic cop here to talk about this show. We'll focus primarily on Florida, but we're going to talk about the draft in general. So, Will, I want to get your thoughts on just uh, as a draft in general. Mm. What did you make of 2020 compared to recent years? Uh, it was very interesting. I think that a lot of what happened was teams had their guy. I, I really felt coming away that, that teams, you know, that there, there was some real crazy zones, I think, in the draft. I mean, on, on Tuesday night, uh, we had, I think, from almost every pick from 20 to 30 to 31 through the end of the first round, I think was completely not what I was expecting in terms of general player evaluation of who per certain teams might value more than others. Um, you know, I thought there were some really, really good players that slipped through the second round even. Um, you know, I think some really good players went undrafted entirely. I think a lot of teams also were, I, I don't know why exactly, but and I'd have to look at my data from last year, but there was a lot of players that were undrafted in prior years that were taken in the mid to late rounds, I feel like this year more than usual. And in that situation, I, I wonder if that's because they had notes from them from the last full entire season they had last year and liked what they did this year in, in their D plus one seasons and just figured they'd pull, pull the trigger on them. I don't really know exactly what, what that was, but I felt like a lot of first-time eligible players went undrafted that were worth a, a pickup. Um, but I also felt that individually by team, you know, last year there were definitely some clear winners. Like I think some teams like New York and the Rangers and the Hurricanes had some really good drafts. And I think this year some teams definitely did have a very good draft as well. But I think there were a lot of just okay teams in terms of what they got out of the draft they might get a player here they might get a player there and there weren't very many teams that absolutely every single pick throughout the entire draft just swung on the biggest talent left but there were and there were also teams that didn't really do the opposite of that there i think most teams came out with something tangible and useful out of this year's draft i mean obviously time will tell but it was certainly very different and very strange overall um, but the biggest thing to me was some of the, the craziness that went on, especially Tuesday night. It's so good that the Panthers were not involved in any of that. Tommy otherwise would have pulled his hair out. <laughs> yeah, he, he and I text during the draft, and when, when the Panthers texted Anton Lindell, that's the happiest I've seen Tommy in a very long time. So, Mr. Kulikowski, this is a good draft for you, because a lot of guys you like got drafted in positions of, well, decent prominence, and the Panthers drafted somebody you liked as well in the first round. So what did you think of the draft? I think similarly to Will, uh, you know, I think a lot of the reason or I think one of the reasons 
I'm particularly fond of for why teams felt more confident just going with their guy and uh, was being more siloed and isolated from their from everybody else. There was no draft floor. And, you know, it's hard to kind of game out where other people are going to be taking guys. So you just kind of go with who you like. Uh, so I, I agree there. Um, and I think I just really got lucky because with the European leagues in play now, there's a lot of recency bias. There's a lot of um, players who are allowed to answer questions scouts and GMs may, may be having in the last couple of weeks heading into the draft, you know, the last couple of weeks and days heading into the draft and, and show that on, on the ice. So I think that kind of just, since I'm biased and usually focus most of my time and, you know, energy there, uh, I think that it's just kind of luck. Uh, well, it's not luck. It's smarts. I mean, a lot of players you like got drafted very highly, and a lot of players that got drafted very highly were people that other uh, folks in the draft sphere liked. So you did a good job. Give yourself some credit. And we're going to spend well, a lot of time. I think, I think the, the credit for a lot of people who don't know, uh, Will does a lot of videos, and he did – he hit his goal this year, which I think was 30, 35 or 32, yep. 30 originally. And then with the, with the pushback, I figured I'd push as hard as I could. And I think we got to 36, which, uh, congratulations. Cause that is a, that is a lot of work. I mean, that's a lot of clipping and kind of organizing and scripting and, and all that stuff. And it, and it comes out really well, uh, as a final product. So, uh, I know, I know you're probably just kind of, almost dying to get over this, uh, this draft class with how much work you've put in. So we really appreciate uh, your time here. Um, the longest draft in human history. But that's yeah. okay. We'll, we'll remember it in the years in the future. Uh, we are going to focus a little bit first on the Panthers. We're going to touch on a lot of stuff in this next hour or so. And I want to start with the, with the Panthers, obviously, since this is a Panthers primarily focused show. Uh, Tommy spent a lot of time talking about Anton Lindell before the, uh, the draft. And then the draft went very nicely because once the Sabres took Jack Quinn, it immediately popped into my head, oh, Anton Lindell might go to Florida. And this will make not only my co-host very happy, but universally a lot of Panthers fans happy. And that doesn't happen on draft night very often, particularly considering what happened in 2019. So, Will, uh, Anton Lindell scored two goals today. We're recording this on Tuesday the 13th. So he's mm -hmm. still playing incredibly well. Uh, and the Panthers, there's a thing with Finnish centers in Florida that tends to go pretty well. So uh, what do you think about him as a prospect, and what do you think about him uh, projecting forward? You know, I think Anton Lundell, I, 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 he was one of the first guys that I got a decent data set on last year. I, I've been a really, really big fan of him. He's, you know, the, they always say, at least the people in the business to me say that the, the, the quickest things you can work on or the easiest things you can work on are usually related to footwork and skating. And with Lundell, I think people overblew his concerns with regards to his mobility on the ice. And, and I think that he just is a player primarily focused on efficiency. And, you know, I, I don't think like you guys have the Alexander Barkov uh, effect down there, but I think that he's a bit of a different flavor than that. I don't think he's necessarily the overwhelming two way impact player that, that Barkov is, but I think that Lindell has plenty of ability in terms of uh, not only just playing defense, but also offensively as well he's he's a bit more conservative in his overall approach to the game at least at five on five but i don't think that's a bad thing i think you know if, if he were a guy that i was drafting and hoping he was a foundational part of a team for the next decade i would 
maybe be a bit cautioning on that. But in terms of just being a rock solid piece, especially when you look at the fly with the with, with sorry with what the Panthers have already. Um, if you look at what they've already got, I, I think that he'll slot into that lineup really, really well. Uh, he's, you know, I think the offense is there. It always was. I think the skating is a little bit awkward looking, but he gets around the ice to me just fine. Um, so I, I, I thought that he was, he was the 10th ranked guy for me coming out, uh, going into the draft, sorry. And having him at t- uh, 12, I kind of had a feeling he would be. I mean, it always happens where guys that are maybe ranked a little bit lower, jump up in the draft for a number of different reasons this year. Those guys to me were Jack Quinn and, and Jake Sanderson, but for Lundell to get him at 12, I think is a great pickup. Um, probably to me all around the best player available there. Uh, and I think the Florida Panthers just didn't overthink it. And I mean, he's already hit the ground running in, in, in Finland this year already. Thank you, Bill Zito for not overthinking it. We <laughs> yes. Too often we see that with this draft and Tommy, I think it's also not just best player available for the Panthers, but it fills a need like a desperate flashing red light need that also happens to be the best player available. We talked about how the Panthers don't have any center depth, and this draft showed that Bill Zito agrees with that assessment. So in not too long, he's probably lining up behind Alexander Barkov, and that's what exactly what Panthers fans are hoping for, and that's probably what they're going to see not too long from now. Yeah, I mean, totally. I think I think that overall, I mean, I know we're probably going to get into it, but like you mentioned it, thank you, Bill Zito, for not overthinking it. I, I look at what they came away with in the draft and think that it was it's kind of a turning of a new leaf, I think, in the more positive direction. I mean, the Florida Panthers haven't been a, a terrible drafting team in a while, I, I, I don't think. Um, but when you look at what they've done, I mean, it's I, I, I think per pick they had, like considering the value they're looking at. I, I think it's the beginning of something new for the Panthers that I'm personally pretty optimistic about, I think. And that's going to make my co-host, again, very happy because too often <laughs> we come away from these drafts, Tommy, and you're going, oh boy, that's a little bit interesting, right? Yeah, it, it, you're really scraping to find that second NHL player that they're going to get out of the draft usually. Uh, but this year, you know, they have a few candidates of people who, you know, really can project to put in some meaningful minutes at the NHL level. And I, I really wanted to uh, kind of talk about, you know, another of their center candidates that they got talking about that need at center in Ty Schmiel. Oh, I'm Malak. terrible at pronunciation. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Thank you, Matt. Uh, you I always save pronun- me on those. I did the pronunciations on this show. I have the impossible last name. I've gotten used to it. It's OK. And I'm also a broadcaster, so I got to learn how to do this at some point. Absolutely. So, yeah, what about him? Because he's one of those players. It reminds me of Logan Hutsko a couple years ago who has a lot of talent but just got completely damaged by injuries. And it mean he dropped. If he was healthier, he probably, I guess, would have gone a little higher, Will. I, I think that's what the, the yep. sentiment was. So, yes. as we talked about the Panthers, like, they just didn't draft centers. It was wingers and um, Alberta and British Columbia second-tier junior league defensemen, really, uh, in recent years. And so, with him... It seemed a lot like best player available, but also, again, it fills a need at center. So what about him? Because he seems like one of those wild card prospects that you take with a third round pick and you go, there's a lot of upside here if we get him healthy. That's absolutely right. I, I watched Ty Smolanich play Smolanich play a lot this season, or at least when he was in the lineup. He was injured a little bit this year, but I wouldn't say it's anything to be concerned about long term. But uh, I, I look at him and go... Uh, he's a really, really hardworking player. He can move around the ice really effectively. You're not going to get a poor effort out of him. Uh, you know, he's got some good skill, really good release on his shot. And again, 
I mean, I, I think that range of the draft for me, where you look in that 70s range where you have guys like Poirier off the board, but then the Panthers got Smolanic and then Foodie went off the board and Gushin went off the board. You know, that whole region could have some really interesting long term uh, upside there. I mean, Ty Smolanic, I think I had him ranked at 53. My average rank for him was 51. So to get him at 74 is a nice buy low situation, especially when it's not the first or second guy that the Panthers even drafted. So, you know, I really like the work ethic that he has on the ice. There's some good all around tools. Uh, I think injuries obviously hid him a little bit more than you would like. Um, might not have been the guy that I pick in this range considering who was slipping, but I mean, it, he would certainly be on the short list of contenders. I mean, he, he slipped a little bit in the draft and, and I think that's a great pickup for the, for the Panthers just to see what happens with him. Yeah, Tommy, when you think about the Panthers tried that in the past, and you, you, I don't remember what you thought about Logan Hutzko. This was a podcast two years ago or two and a half years ago now, whatever the hell it was. Uh, I don't mind them taking players in that kind of range with a little – again, it's a risk when, they're, when they have the injuries, but it's not a terrible idea, and especially considering for the Panthers' position need, if he develops into something, you know, it's found money when you're getting into that range, especially with a player like that who can often be injured. Yeah, and I think Will hit the nail on the head saying that it's the third player they drafted. You know, you don't have to take that risk, you know, when it's, you know, your second pick. And knowing that you you had to pick, you know, 13 slots back uh, still in that third round where they got uh, Justin Sordif, uh, who I like as a Formula One fan and Lewis I Hamilton fan. I, I noticed that. I, yeah. I, uh, and I think he, he also was somewhat a best player available at that point in the in the draft at least with some of the athleticism and and the potential of of what he could be compared to who else was was available and um, I think with their second and the third round pick the Panthers maybe didn't get players that I would have picked there uh, but they got players that I thought were similar to those players that I would pick or you know acceptable you know guys in that range uh, that I that I'm happy with and and play the the kind of style that Florida's trying to implement on the ice and struggled last year doing. Uh, very clearly, considering how many goals they gave up. Uh, Will, so let's talk <laughs> about those two players, um, Sordif and Emil. I'm going to call you Jamie by accident. I'm sorry, Heineman. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I have been a guy that you know Emil Heineman came out of nowhere this year. I remember him or I don't remember him, but do it just in preliminary research because he hit the ground running this year. But last year, he was more of a depth guy for his team in Sweden. Um, but this year, I mean, he absolutely exploded. I think a lot of it comes down to filling out his frame a little bit, you know, and he is a pretty strong skater as well. I'm a really big fan of Hanemann. I'm glad that, the, that a team like the Panthers took a chance on him. I think uh, at 43, it's a perfectly reasonable pick. I had him ranked 35th. And I think... When you look at him, I, I see a uh, I see an NHL player one day. I I don't see an impact NHLer like say a top six guy, but he's going to be able to go out there. He's a physical player. He plays hard. He's got some good skill around the net. Um, you know, he's got a good shot as well. He he covers a lot of ice really effectively. Um, you know, and just a really really good physical player that is still very good at hockey, which I think is something you definitely need. I don't know what his upside is outside of maybe a, a third-line guy that t- can chip in offensively, but he'll be a good version of that type of a player, and I, I think he's got all the potential to be an NHL player. Um, with Surtif, I, I'm not so optimistic about his chances of playing in the NHL, but I certainly see a really, really good junior player there at the very least. I think 
you know, he's a little bit inefficient with the skating. Um, you know, he, he is very skilled in terms of the slipperiness and adapting to pressure and just getting the job done at the junior level. But his pace of play is a little bit limited. Uh, he drives really, really good results, though. So if you can work on processing play at a higher pace and, and working on his puck control and his ability to generate speed, I think maybe you could have him as a pretty interesting winger down the road. He's listed as a center, at least in my data. Um, but I, I think maybe more of a winger is a, is a situation where he might thrive a little better. But again, at 87, I mean, he was ranked 55th for me. And, and there are guys on the list that I probably would have looked at first. Um, for example, guys like Brandon Coe, uh, Zion Newbeck was falling already in that draft, Sean Farrell. Um, but, but I don't think this is a bad pick. I think there's a little bit more offensive flair to a guy like sort of, um, it just is going to be a question of how much his game can evolve, uh, especially once he gets out of the WHL and hits the pro ranks. I think it's a perfectly reasonable pick at 87 for, for, for the, for the Panthers though. So, uh, we'll have to wait and see. And again, like if he was the second guy you pick in the draft, I'd be a little more skeptical, but he, at this point would have been there fourth, if I'm not mistaken. Fourth, so yes. perfectly reasonable. I, I think there's interesting talent there to work on. I'm not sure it projects, but I think he's a, an interesting swing to take, especially at that pick. Well, Tommy, I think it's interesting because when you come into this draft with a new GM, considering how weird this year is, we had no idea what Bill Zito wanted to do. Like, where did he see the Panthers organization uh, compared to where, you know, people saw it in the past and compared to recent drafts, which became kind of uh, it'll go interesting for Florida, view by the way they use their picks. So what was your biggest takeaway just from an overall Panthers perspective from the past to now? What do you think Bill Zito and his staff is going to do in terms of a draft process? It looked, I mean, it was the first draft, so you kind of expect it to be more of that blend and hybrid, but it kind of looked like the best of, you know, the scouting under Talon and then kind of what you expect out of Columbus. Uh, you know, a little uh, bit of that, uh, not a grind or grit focus, but definitely physical players players that are that get to the crease and and can play through the middle of the ice uh but definitely have skill and have a more possession or chance focused you know style of play um so i i was pretty happy with it again i mean with lundell you know it i'm, I'm so happy i don't really want to jinx it i think that they uh, in the seventh round, you know, they did the seventh round kind of flyers I really like, you know, a Swedish center with alliteration. I can't turn that down um, with Elliot Ekmark. Uh, and Devin Levy, who I really don't know, but everything I've read of him is it's just a very athletic goalie who's played in minor Canadian junior uh, and is going to be going the college route at Northeastern. Uh, and he's just small for a goalie. I think I don't know if he's under six foot or what, but I can't remember. But uh, you know, I don't I don't mind that. I don't mind them taking a goalie in the seventh round if they're going to take a goalie. You know, with the goal with Knight and Bobrovsky, they don't need to waste a higher pick. So I, I don't mind that. I think it's interesting because you know, Will, when you come from that Columbus school where they have a very set way of doing business, as they proved in this draft to the surprise of everybody, including most people at NBC and Sportsnet who had to spend <laughs> five minutes filibustering about nothing, which was quite interesting uh, when you're not prepared. Even in the most prepared moments, you can still have something like that happen. Uh, it's oh, yeah. interesting when you see, again, Bill Zito coming from that particular area in Columbus, as I said, a team that has such a specific way of doing business. And now he's bringing some of that to Florida with his own, 
you know, bringing that in with the guys that were already in with the scouts in Florida who had their own way of doing things. So what did you think about that? Like, did it surprise you based on what Bill Zito was a part of in Columbus, that this is what happened in Florida? Or is it some combination of, you know, we see what Florida drafted in the past and there's a little of that with some junior BC league defensemen. Mm. And, but then also a guy like Anton Lindell and Emil Haneman is not something I think that the previous regime would have drafted. Yeah, I, I can see that just from an outsider's perspective. I think looking at what Columbus does really well through the draft, especially considering what they, you know, what they've come out with, you know, in the mid rounds of the draft, they seem to really know how to identify good flyers to take, you know, guys who have shown good results and just, they don't overthink it and just draft good players and try to develop them into better players. And, you know, a big example is Alex Texier. He was a bit of a risk when they drafted him. I think most people had him more towards the back half of the second or even later, uh, you know, but they liked him. I had saw brief flashes of him playing internationally that were really impressive, but not on a consistent enough basis to think, okay, this guy would be a potential even, I think Kekalainen said that even a first round pick would have been considered for him. Uh, Emil Bemstrom, Bemstrom is another one. Kirill Marchenko is another one. They just seem to bet on talent really well. And I think the Florida Panthers with Bill Zito at the helm, there's a bit of that brought over, but they definitely tend, it's it's clear that Bill Zito is looking more, not in the, I want to, I, I hate to use the word gritty direction, but they're trying to push the more guys, I, from my view, at least with their first few picks off the board, the guys who earn it. So, you know, Justin Surtif is a guy who goes out and earns a lot of what he generates. Ty Smolanich is a guy who earns a lot of what he generates. Emil Haneman certainly goes out and earns a lot of, we ge- of what he generates. And Anton Lundell, I think, is just a really good hockey player who was available at 12, and he does the same thing. But, you know, he's much more intelligent and, and anticipates the play really, really well and, and produces offensively in a, in, a, in a way where he earns it in a different way. So I think there's a weird hybrid going on here where they're going, okay, we know that there are players that are talented and skilled and have all this potential, but we want the guys who have that, but also a very clear and demonstrable work ethic on the ice. And I, I think I see that with a lot of guys. I mean, even Casper Putio uh, is a guy that I've seen a lot, and he's a guy who I think in his own way um, plays a more of an aggressive style that that pinches up on the in the in the in the neutral zone really well, and and plays that aggressive way and really forces the opponent to sort of bend to his will a little bit more than a lot of defensemen do who are a little more passive. So I think it's an interesting hybrid of the two. And it's interesting you bring it up because it never even crossed my mind that, you know, coming from Columbus and the way they do things, switching over to Florida. And I think it is a bit of a hybrid because there is that entrenched uh, team of, of guys that have been with the Panthers scouting for them for a while. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how this group shakes out because I think I think that that seems to be the angle that they took based on what I know about the guys they drafted. I think some of that is also kind of Bill Zito knowing, you know, what we know about the Panthers, which is uh, they're kind of terrible. And, you know, like <laughs> you, you got to not be acceptable with losing. You know, the Panthers lose a lot. So you want the guys who are going to kind of fight for every inch because, like, in many ways, like that's kind of what Columbus did to win was fight for every inch, and even if it wasn't the most aesthetically pleasing way. So, like, Columbus was kind of a model, like, lower market franchise, and for many ways, like, that's a decent model if you're the Panthers. Like, take the risks and get the guys who are going to work their tails off. And that's kind of what they did in free agency, and we're going to get to that in another show. But I think that that's something that Bill Zito identified, said, we got to get guys who are going to work their tails off every single day, because that's the way right now we're going to have to win. 
is because we've got plenty of talent, but talent, again, hasn't gotten the Panthers anywhere recently because we thought that they've been talented and they've always underperformed that. So why not try to go in that other direction? Tom, do you see that? Because I, I, you could get like, these are, you know, we're talking about tough to play against, and Bill Zito mentioned that in some of his press conferences. And this isn't like signing Eric Goodbranson tough to play against. It's guys who are tougher to play against in that more Columbus way, which, again, it works. The Columbus model has worked, and Bill Zito coming from that knows, like, that can translate if we build it the right way in Florida. And I think that, you know, that, that's a good place to begin if you're trying to establish yourself as a general manager. Go with what you know. Yeah, and I love the way that Will framed it as guys that have earned it. it you know, they're, they earn every inch of the ice. When they, when they score goals, they're, you know, they're, they're the guys that really put in the work effort at, at – uh, work ethic over the shifts uh, to earn it. Um, I'm trying to pull up this stat now today, but I think it was Anton Lindell covered the most amount of meters on the ice today. And he took like the sixth, had the sixth highest time on ice. So he really puts in the effort and he covers a lot of ground when he's out there on the ice. And I think, you know, that is kind of carried through all, all through, you know, their nine, or eight, yeah, nine selections, ten selections. Oh man, they had a lot of selections here. Uh, they I, I, I they did. I, I want to go into uh, the defense because I, I kind of liked Casper Puto uh, kind of in that fifth, sixth, seventh. You know, just because I think he has kind of a reclamation project type of uh, pedigree, and at, at that range, you might. As, might as well take a flyer on it if you're a big Finnish team and uh, you, you trust your Finnish scouts. If they say, yeah, it's worth a pick, uh, uh, I, I'm willing Panthers to trust, trust that. Finish, the Panthers trust their Finnish scouts. But, we we uh, have made over that Finnish scout quite a bit. <laughs> we deserve a gift basket, Mr. Yari Kekalainen, for how much we've uh, put you over on this show. Yeah, uh, at least an edible arrangement. Oh, I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll settle for that. I'll settle for that. Well, I, I, I really want to kind of be talked into Michael Benning and, and Zach Owens, uh, and even to an extent, Casper Puto about, you know, them being more than just the equivalent of what flyers. the have been drafting in recent yeah. years, especially, especially guys that they've drafted that have, are going the college route that in these mid rounds, that kind of don't really make it out of division one hockey. Yeah. So, I tracked a few games of Michael Benning. I am so he was a player who, based on his scoring rates last year, uh, I was really, really excited to see what he can do in his draft eligible year. And the first time I saw him was the Junior Club World Cup. I think was, was played in Russia this year, um, and he played on the AJHL All Star team. And they were an okay team, I would say. But I remember not being particularly blown away with this player, thinking, "Oh my God, this guy." absolutely deserves to score more than a point per game as a defenseman uh, in, in junior hockey in Canada. And I, the more and more I watch the Alberta junior league, the more and more, I just don't really think a ton of it. I think the Sherwood park crusaders were a fascinating team because they were one of these teams that really loved to not play at five on five and really open up the ice whenever they could. And I just don't see players on teams that do you have to be to me very careful about evaluating players who play on a team like that in junior because in the nhl that usually just doesn't happen like there were games where i saw guys like him and him and uh brendan Bersan was another one where they were playing eight nine ten minutes not at five on five so whether it was penalty kill or power play or what have you and i think the average nhl team as a whole 
gets about six total minutes of non-five-on-five play in a game. Well, so well, I have to stop you, Will. The Panthers signed Radko Gudis. That might go right. up in Florida a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't expect Michael Benning to be a penalty killer, but maybe. Um, but, but anyway, I mean, Michael Benning, you know, there's definitely skill there. I think he's a decent puck mover, but the data that I tracked of him, I mean, I, I was going to do a full video on him, but I just, usually when I start with these guys and then do a few games and I come away going, I don't know what I can really say about this kid. I don't really think it would make a very good product at the end. So, you know, I'm looking at a guy who had the 12th most attempted passes that I tracked, and this is only at five on five. And he completed 65% of them, which is 81st in my tracking. So in the AJHL, you have a guy who's passing the puck a ton and missing his targets 35% of the time. You know, he's he's not super involved in transitions going either direction. Um, I, I just think that this is a player where you're just kind of waiting and seeing because you see some nice offensive tools. I think he's an interesting uh, puck mover. He's got good power play upside. Um, I don't think I would have been clamoring to draft him at 95, especially with guys like Brandon Coe still on the board. Um, who else? I mean, you've got Eamon Powell still on the board for defensemen. I actually kind of liked Ethan Edwards out of the AJHL, who didn't produce nearly as much, but I felt that the mobility with Edwards was more projectable. Um, you know, he seemed to be a much better gap management player on the on the defensive side of the game. But Benning does have offensive talent. So, Maybe there's some potential here if you can give him a few years to develop in college. I wouldn't be surprised if there's an adjustment period for him. Um, but he is going to a program at Denver, I believe, that really likes uh, these skilled players and developing the rest around it. So it's not the end of the world. Not a bad pick here. Um, and then Zach Ewens. I mean, I've seen him play a little bit this year. Uh, he doesn't play for the best program. And I feel like he was just kind of on every team that isn't great. There's always someone who produces uh, uh, more than you'd expect. Ewan's I didn't see enough of to really warrant an NHL pick or at least not one at 105 but I mean I'm more than happy to be wrong he's very young he was he was kind of thrown to the wolves on his team I think with Merrimack College not the best program um, you know there's some okay offensive tools that I saw but not a guy that I was really thinking was going to be a guy that was gone in the fourth round but you know such is life it, it happens sometimes you find your guy and they want them so We'll see what happens. I mean, you, you can wait and develop the kid for a number of years before making a decision. So I think that's good on the Panthers. There's a lot of interesting things that we'll get to see in the next couple of years. Just a quick final thing on them before we move on to other teams. Tommy, what was your grade for them? You and I were talking about this, and uh, I remember seeing Corey Promen gave them, I think it was a B-plus or something, a B, and I think uh, Scott Wheeler liked it. Again, the draft isn't an exact science, but what would you, if you're grading it, what would you have graded the Panthers draft? I would give it a B, you know, plus or minus how some of these, uh, you know, players work out. I think if it, I was, I would, I was hoping that they did a little more with some of these defensive picks. Uh, I liked a lot of names that, that Will uh, brought up that they could have gone with, uh, you know, and another one would have been William Villanueva. I, I kind of, from the queue, I was hoping that they would step up and pick him. Uh, for a little bit, I thought he was the best defender on the board, and I thought he went, you know, kind of slipped more than I would have uh, liked to see. Uh, so, I mean, other than that, I don't really have any complaints or anything. I, you know, I think they did as best as, you know, expect. I could have reasonably expected them to do, especially seeing that it's a first 
year between a GM and a scouting staff, uh, and they spent the year drafting on different teams, you know, scouting on different teams uh, over the course of the season. So I think that's a pretty fair grade. That's fair enough because, you know, in recent years, you could not give Panthers B grades for drafts. Last year was a weird thing that I don't think we need to get into right now. So let's talk about other teams. Uh, I think why hockey's favorite four teams, Tommy, were what we were. Minnesota, you loved Minnesota's draft, Toronto, Carolina, and L.A. And I know I was listening to Will, I was listening to you on uh, the PDO cast, and you mentioned some of these teams as well. So we will get to um, some of them in a bit. I think, Tommy, you wanted to talk about a couple of uh, other things related to the Flyers. I'm going to let you go with that. They, ta- they did draft a guy you liked a lot in the second round. So uh, let's say we go on down that path. Yeah, yeah, just... Uh, I would really just uh, w- wisdom uh, is kind of the pick I really wanted to hear most about uh, just cause it's a good story. So I kind of want to know the player profile behind it. Um, and, you know, just any of your other general thoughts. So for the flyer specifically, I mean, Zade wisdom, I had him ranked at 80th. I know his average rank was a little higher than that. Uh, but to get him at 94 for the Flyers, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him, similar to that Emil Heinemann kind of vibe, I wouldn't be surprised to see Wisdom be at least an NHL player one day. I think he is another one of these guys who just works and earns it. And, I mean, I watched him play with Kingston this year quite a few times because I threw together a report on Martin Kromiak, and I came away much more impressed with the projectability of a player like Zade Wisdom than I did with Martin Kromiak. And I found that Wisdom and more so Shane Wright, but also Zade Wisdom to an extent, both of those guys really drove the bus for that top unit that did really well when Martin Kromiak was added to the picture. I think Martin Kromiak is a good finisher. I'm not surprised, though, that he slipped past where Zade Wisdom went. Um, I, I look at Zade Wisdom and just see a really respectable hockey player, works really hard, you know, the backstory is is really, really inspiring. But just, you know, to me, I focus more on, on what happens on the ice. But it, it, it comes through when he plays. Um, he works hard. He's got some good skill. Overall, solid talent. I don't know if he's like an impact player in the NHL overall, but he's going to be a guy that I think is going to be going out there and, and, and freeing up pucks for teammates. You know, he's going to be a good teammate to play with based on the work ethic that he brings to the ice. I, I like him a lot, and, and it's if someone brought him up at 94, I, I wouldn't be too upset if that was the name that everybody wanted. I would probably go, all right, you know, we'll, we'll take a chance on him, see what he can do, because he's gonna. I think he's going to be one of these guys who, you know, works his way to maximizing what he's capable of, whatever that might be. And if that makes an NHL job for him one day, then so be it. And I think the Flyers do reward those types of players from time to time. Um, but, you know, even if it doesn't, I think he's going to be a guy who – you know, I think there is value in a prospect who plays on, say, the Phantoms and the AHL and is that sort of hardworking guy that everyone sort of wants to emulate, even if he's not the guy that makes it to the NHL. I mean, I think it's possible that he makes it, but I just really, really liked the pick at, at 94 for Philadelphia. And what about, Tommy, uh, your other favorite player that you wanted Florida to draft that you mentioned a lot? The well, I, I just wanted, yeah, Emil Andre, I just... I just really love, and uh, I think Philadelphia is a great place for him and, and a great defensive group for him to kind of be nestled into. Uh, so I would love to hear your thoughts on Emil Andre. 
Yeah, I, I, I've tracked a few games of Emil Andre. I mean, he's kind of fascinating. I think he has a long way to go before he's a really effective NHL player. I think a big problem with him is that he is a defender who, uh, in the offensive sense, is at his best when the puck is in the offensive zone. Um, not as good a transition player, I would say, as even his partner, Anton Johannesson, was. Um, I don't think his skating... Like his mobility around the ice, especially for someone at five foot nine, is really projectable to smaller ice. I just don't really know uh, how the higher pace of a North American game is going to work for him. He's a guy who is very small and I think light on his feet, but he chases physical contact a lot. And he is a hit or miss kind of player in that area in terms of actually separating pucks from players. I'm not surprised he was available at 54 because I think there's a mismatch between what he plays like in the Swedish Junior League and how that type of profile translates to the NHL unless he were a taller player that had some better mobility with him. You can work on mobility, you can work on skating, and I think it's a decent pick, and I think you're right. The Flyers develop defensemen very well. Um, and funnily enough, I had Emil Andre ranked a little bit higher than I had Tyson Forster ranked, and they picked Forster in the first round. Um, oh, that's going to make Tommy happy. <laughs> yeah, so that's fun. Um, but I'm I'm a fan of Emil Andre. I just don't I just worry about the projection um, and and the the way that he approaches the game and the fact that a lot of things need to be done in order to put him in a position to produce where he's more of the player that steps up from the blue line and takes shots from in between the faceoff circles. But whereas his partner Anton Johansson is much better at distributing the puck, managing the ice, and sort of controlling the flow of play himself and sort of enabling everything that leads into what makes Emil Andre a better player. So, you know, I had those two players ranked very closely together. Um, I, I look at Emil Andre, though, and see a fine swing to take at 54. And uh, I guess you have to wait and see because it's going to come down to a few different things coming a little bit of a ways before he can be that player. But you may as well at 54th overall. It's funny how we, how we focus on two teams in this uh, podcast, one who does not develop defensemen at all, or at least has not tried to in a long time, and the other that does. That's just the, 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 uh, the yin and the yang of this show, and it has driven Tommy insane for a long time. But uh, it's, it's a little bit different now, I would say, now that the Panthers have gotten rid of Mike Matheson, thank the Lord. Uh, any other uh, parts of that Flyers draft, Tommy, you wanted to get into uh, before we move on to some other stuff? Nope, nope. I think that's it. I just wanted to point out that Anton Johannesson is really great, and I'm, <laughs> I'm very excited to see him in Detroit with uh, the second uh, great Swedish uh, generation. So it's gonna be awesome. <laughs> I think Tommy has made a lot of friends, and he likes that. He likes it again. If your team drafts European players, Tommy's probably going to like it. That's one of his mm -hmm. things, and I understand why. And I guess for Will, I mean, Will probably knows this. He read the draft guide which I hope a lot of you did. But, Tommy, explain again why you project so many uh, great things for these European players and why you rate them ahead of some of the comparable players that play in, you know, the, the Canadian Junior Leagues lower down or somebody in college. Well, I, I think what we're seeing now is the game kind of moves into, uh, like, more positionalist, more fluid, and more five-in-the-picture team play that – the Swedish, the Finnish, the Russian, a lot of those European development models are more based off soccer and ha some of that more fluid playing game uh, sports. So 
uh, I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, and, and I think that they also do much more developing their, you know, their, their twitch muscle, their small twitch muscles, their, um, their high skill, uh, and focus less on the physicality, especially at a younger age, which, uh, where you can get the most improvement in your practice hours. So I think, you know, that kind of all combines into better projectable prospects. And I think it's just easier for me to project somebody in a European um, kind of professional development system that, you know, is known for, for putting, producing X kind of NHL players uh, that, I've seen him play, put up these numbers through the 16, 18, 20 junior team and put up so many numbers or, or play to a certain level in his appearances in the SHL or the Liga. Uh, it, it's a lot more projectable for me who, uh, you know, does this kind of as a hobby. Uh, so it's confidence level to... Well, also, it, it also helps with experience because when the Panthers draft somebody from uh, Europe in the first round and that's the best draft pick they've made in a long time, uh, Sasha Barkov, you know, again, we, we go back to that a lot because that was a, a gamble, a huge gamble in many ways, and it paid off spectacularly. And, you know, now we're – and that's why, why hockey likes Finnish players. And now Bill Zito comes in and he likes Finland too, so we like that. Uh, let's go for the rest of the draft. Um, oh, I mentioned the teams that uh, Tommy's dra- uh, Tommy really liked to uh, – Carolina, I think Toronto, L.A., and Minnesota. I know, Will, you liked Minnesota's draft a lot, and Tommy mm-hmm. had a couple of players that he wanted the Panthers to take that just didn't make it to them. Uh, so talk a little bit about some of those teams, because I know you probably like those drafts as well. Yeah, so I the, the, the five teams that I included on the teams that I really, really liked this year, I mean, Carolina to me is like an honorable mention, but I think about it like per pick value. Like Carolina had a ton of picks and I think some were better than others, but for Minnesota, I I think they knocked it out of the park. All things considered, they only had what five picks, I think. So, and I think at every single one, they made at least a reasonable case for a solid option. Um, I I mean, Marco Rossi at nine is hilarious. Um, I think Marat Kuznodinov has as much potential as anyone that was taken in the first round, if not more, Uh, you know, you got to wait and I think you got to be patient, but he, I think, couldn't get there and become a heck of a player. Uh, Ryan O'Rourke, I mean, maybe not the guy I would have taken at 39, but the third guy off the board to me, if the first two were Rossi and Kuznodinov, I'm happy with that because a great stretch passer. He's a great passer into the neutral zone. I kind of worry about his pace translating. His skating is fine, I would say, but his skill is pretty interesting, especially stepping up in the offensive blue line. Um, and he goes out and he's just very effective. So I, I don't mind it. Um, Damon Hunt at 65, good defense first guy, really hard to read, but this was a guy that was a potential first round pick a year ago. So I, I, I think it's a decent swing to take. He shows some okay results in the data that I tracked on him, but again, he played on a just terrible hockey team. So it's hard to really pick through exactly who was at fault, but I get the feeling that at least in the defensive sense, he's got a lot of talent and Pavel Novak. I mean, at 146, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of Pavel Novak, mostly because he has such a long way to go in terms of um, building up high pace play, thinking on the fly. And, and, you know, he can plan things out in advance and he can see the ice really well and he can make a play really effectively. But boy, 
Uh, he does it at an extremely slow rate of pace and an extremely inefficient skating stride. So manipulating that into something better without losing the vision and without losing the 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 creativity that he seems to have might be a bit of a challenge. But again, at 146, like he drives good enough results to be worthy of of at least a look there. So for Minnesota overall, I thought they did great. Um, and then the other the other teams that I'll just mention quickly were, I mean, L.A., Toronto. I really liked Winnipeg's draft, like per pound that they picked. They they only had a few picks, but I thought they did a really good job. And then San Jose was one that I also thought they might end up with four or five players with their first four or five picks in the draft. I think they, again, didn't overthink it, drafted really talented players, even if they were mostly wingers, and just said, who cares? If they turn out to be NHL players, then we're laughing. So those would be the teams that I would point to for sure right away. Tommy, you texted me a lot during the draft about players the Leafs were taking and how you wanted them. Because Kyle, <laughs> Dubas, re- Kyle Dubas either reads Why Hockey or listens to this podcast, which you know what? Actually, knowing the people we know, I wouldn't be surprised by that. Uh, but yeah, that was, that was one of those, because uh, the Leafs always do this. And uh, that was one of my favorite things on day two. Tommy texted me, oh, the Leafs took a player I like. Well, yeah, and we didn't talk about this, but other than Florida and how the defenseman they picked and me maybe wanting to pick other ones, I was pretty bummed, and you'll remember this, that they traded the pick to Toronto to allow them to get Ofchinikov uh, in the fifth yeah, round. Yeah, very sad about that. I, I, if you're, <laughs> I, I just think that you might as well just take the pick yourself and draft him. I, I mean, I had him, I was pretty bullish and probably more bullish on him than I should have been, and I had him like in my second round. Uh, but I just really like the player and I, it just pains me to, tr- to let somebody in division get him after they just got the defenseman I was going on about for a couple rounds that the Panthers should probably pick up because he'd fit well in their system and William Villanueva. And, you know, it was just a series of them taking, I thought they were the Colorado avalanche because they just kept taking the guys I thought the Panthers were going to get in the draft. I think that again, there's the connection, so I'm not I'm not surprised. Uh, Will? Yeah, I mean, I live in the Toronto area, so I'm gonna try to, you know, be as neutral as I can. I, 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 if you if you want to say things like about, the, I don't really care. I'm I not, mean, they I, did, have no, I have nothing it, against the Leafs. I just like watching when their fans explode when they do something oh, bad. It's very funny. hundred percent. When the Panth- when it's when Mark Pesic scored a hat trick against the Leafs this oh. year, watching Twitter lose its mind was absolutely delicious. hilarious. It was, it was great. Yeah. It was worth every single. And then the Panthers <laughs> scoring eight against them earlier. Yep. In the, it was absolutely hilarious and worth. It's, it's one of the things I say about being following the Panthers. If you are a cynical jerk, you're going to love watching this team. <laughs> the minute the other fans come to the BB&T Center in Sunrise, and it's a lot of them, and they get to walk out with their team losing to the bad team that, you know, that is Florida because they don't think anything, not only did you pay to keep the Panthers in South Florida, you also got to walk home watching your team take an L, which is hilarious. And I've right. always enjoyed that aspect of the uh, of Panthers following, and I've been, I've been, we've been to some of those games where that's happened. That even happened at the draft, too. But anyway, back to the Leafs draft. Uh, sorry for that tangent. No, it's all good. I mean, I think the Leafs just did a really solid job. I think we look back on the trade they made uh, to jump back from 44 to take Hervin and Animala. Um I, I just did a live uh, a show with Rachel Dory, um, who was told 
that the Toronto Maple Leafs traded that pick from 44 back because they thought they could get one of Hervin or Nimala at one of those picks. So they ended up getting both. Um, so I, I think the Toronto Maple Leafs did a great job. I mean, Rodion Amirov at 15 is exactly what they need. Uh, it's exactly what I would have pitched if they asked me who to take at that slot if he were available. Um, I think that is just such a great fit, both stylistically and logistically for the team and planning up the salary cap and what they might need in a couple of years when he's actually NHL ready. Um, and then Ronnie Hirvonen and Topi Nimala, I wouldn't be surprised if both of those players end up not only in the NHL sooner than Tyler Clevin, but might even be better players. Um, I, I love what both of those players bring to the game. Ronnie Hirvonen, he is a riskier pick, I would say. I think he's got a little bit of a more ways to go, but he's a rock-solid two-way center who knows how to play that position pretty well, from my viewing. And, you know, he's no-nonsense. He fits into pretty much any system. He just gets to the net in the offensive zone, covers the middle really well in the defensive zone. Um, Topi Nimala... I think has a lot of room to grow. I saw flashes of really interesting skill and mobility out of him. Um, a little bit of a heavy load in terms of being in a men's league as a right-hand shot defenseman. Um, he, you know, his team didn't necessarily generate a lot of offense with him on the ice, but he did chip in as, as much as he could. And I think he could be a rock solid defenseman, maybe not a top two pair guy, but just a guy who chips in for the Leafs down the road that they'll need as well on an ELC. I mean, I I think Sorry, that's go what ahead. They're good. I think that's what they're good at. Yes. Just, they, just, they just get guys on entry. Tommy's been begging the Panthers to do this for years, and I've yeah. heard it on this show a hundred times. And, you know, we, we, you see them do it with players that are, you know, that are not draft eligible overagers, but you see them do it in the draft too. And a lot of them just happen to be from Europe, which makes Tommy also very annoyed because it's the same team in the division. Yeah. I mean, I look at the rest of their draft class. I mean, I was really surprised to see them trade up to get Ovchinnikov. I mean, that to me leads me to believe that there were other teams sort of circling around that range to take him, which, I mean, it means they've done their homework. What I had heard going into the draft was that no one knew what to do with him. I think a lot of teams saw the fact that he started the year as a bottom six guy, as a winger for his team, and ended their top line center, got a taste of the KHL at the end, and to me, looked a little bit out of sorts in the KHL, but... I mean, I think people look at that and go, well, they get a little bit of cold feet and don't really know how to evaluate him. Um, whereas for me, I just go, well, he's a really good hockey player. So I had him just outside the second round. Um, so at 137, I mean, it's reasonable to draft him there, trading up to get him. I mean, they must really like him. Um, BT Mietinen, no-brainer at 168. I think he's a guy who people were just completely sound asleep on a lot of the year, mostly probably because of the team he played on not being very good. Uh, his second go around in the Finnish Junior League where he really didn't need to be there, but he had to because he's going to the NCAA. I, I, I like VT Mietinen a lot. He's a volume shooter, but I mean, at 168, there were many, many worse players who went off the board ahead of him. Uh, Axel Rindell, you really fix his skating and you might have something there. I think he's a later, he's an older player, but I don't really mind it. I've gone back and watched some tape of Joe Miller and... The guy can shoot the puck extremely well, and I don't know what else he does, but he could be an interesting late, you know, we'll see what happens. Also extremely young for this year's draft class. Fusco, Shingothi, and Tverberg, whatever. I mean, they're seventh-round picks. They don't work out. You might. The Leafs, I would be surprised if they ended up with any fewer than three at least NHL contributors out of this year's draft. I don't really know if William Villeneuve, like, and he's another one of those guys who I think has a long way to go before he's an NHL player. Um, but, I mean, if you get your goalie in the fourth round in Akhtiyamov and you get an interesting flyer on Evchinnikov, a potential depth scoring option in Mietinen, like, 
that this could be a really, really useful draft for the Toronto Maple Leafs when they will be desperate for good value contracts like ELC contracts in a few years. So I think they set themselves up, you know, as long as they can gain some success now, I think they've set themselves up for continuing that success for the next, you know, five years plus with the guys that they've got that they can sort of wait and let develop. As long as they win a playoff series. Yes. That's which the big which thing. might never happen, but who knows? Hey, it's 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 not as if you haven't won a playoff series since the Clinton administration. <laughs> that's you know not what? Over here, you're not I mean, wrong. Two, I mean, I, we talk about that. Well, also the thing about the Panthers with the entry levels and no contributors from uh, those 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 ranks. A lot of that is not necessarily they draft badly. It's that their development model is woof, very bad. But I don't want to focus on that too much. I want to ask you, Will, about 2021 because we're from my brief reading of this and we're going to get to it at some point down the line it seems like this is one of perhaps the most wide open drafts in years because you go back and you think in recent drafts okay this year it's Lafreniere the year before Mm -hmm. it's clearly Hughes and there's it's clearly one or two guys it's probably going to be the number one overall pick and I have not followed the draft as long as you have and my frame of reference only goes back maybe like 10 years but this seems like perhaps one of the most wide-open tops of drafts we've ever seen. Like, wouldn't you – I mean, let's hope that we're having an actual draft in June in the building. Who knows if we are. But, you know, if we get to it as it stands in October of 2020, this could be one of the most wide-open drafts we've seen in a really long time at the top. Yes, that is correct. I, I've been – spending a lot of time so after the draft is over the big thing for me is getting the recap videos that i do shot and edited and ready um so that's something that i'm doing sort of as it comes those are usually pretty quick to throw together so i can sort of take my time a little bit and i am sort of starting to familiarize myself with the guys that are at least playing now so the ohl the whl those guys aren't playing so i don't i haven't been able to see them recently obviously but Uh, There is more than enough players out there playing right now that you can go check out. And I I don't know. I mean, I I, I look, I put together a very, very, very rough early sort of ranking, I guess you could call it more like a watch list, I guess. And still leading the way for me is Atu Ratu, who is a Finnish player playing for Carpet. I mean, to me, he kind of, we were speaking about this guy earlier. He kind of reminds me of Anton Lundell, but with some of the things that Lundell might be deficient in, ratcheted up a little bit. So the skating, I think, is a step ahead for Ratu. The skill is a step ahead. But there's like a few offensive things that I still have questions about. But there's that high-level brain. He can perceive the game really, really well and anticipate play. Chips in defensively really well as well. So I think he's an interesting player to to have at the very top end of this year's draft. I love Fabian Liesel, who's a skilled winger for Ferlunda. I don't know if a skilled winger is going to be the first one that goes off the board this year. But whoever drafts him, I think, is going to have a really exciting player. I'm a huge fan of Simon Edvinson, a defenseman who plays for Ferlunda. Ferlunda's going to have some good players come off the board this year. They might be one of those programs that has a few high, high-end draft picks. I, I think the other one of them was a reading is apparently the University of Michigan. Great. I don't have to hear yeah. enough about them in football every freaking year. <laughs> for sure. Great. Great. Yeah. Got to watch Maryland get pounded by them into their skull. And, now I got to hear, and, and then basketball. Oh, Lord. Now hockey, too? Yep. Yeah, my friend, my Michigan friends are gonna be so annoying. God, not not fun, not fun in my text messages. Because yeah, like in all seriousness, like I was looking at one of those primary uh, preliminary draft rankings, like three Michigan players are in like the top ten or something. Yeah, ludicrous. 
I mean, like, I really like Matthew Beneers, who will be on that team, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I, I think he is a guy who really flew under the radar last season after playing a little bit with Jack Hughes the year before for the under-18 team. Um, so I, I think that's going to be a, a really interesting player to watch because I've been a really big fan of his. But, I mean, I, I look at the I look at the draft this year, and even just guys saying, I mean, there's even guys aren't getting a much very much fan really like like William Stromgren uh, I noticed him last year a little bit playing with William Belinder but this is another guy named William who is also very very good but also a winger I, I think also I'll put this out there early for for 2021 a lot of people tell me I only like small players but boy there's a lot of very big boys that are available this year that are very good hockey players Samuel Hellenius is already playing in the Liga he's a six foot six he, but he can fly uh, you know there's a lot of really big players William von Barnacow uh, from from Malmo also looks pretty good to me. William Soderlund for HV71. I mean, there's a lot of really big players that are still very valuable hockey players. And I think, you know, it goes to show to me at least, like if you don't overthink the draft and just focus on drafting the best players that you can find and developing them into better players, rather than trying to think of someone who isn't as good now, but maybe if you do X, Y, and Z, they turn into something better, you know, because you know, you might look for positional need one year, but then doing so, you might neglect what might be a positional need in the future, and then you passed on a player who's now playing in the NHL, and you instead took a guy who's still in college. Like, you have to keep all these things in, in mind, but drafting just the best players that show up, you'll usually end up with more than enough uh, to, to make it work. Um, so if you're talking big players, small players, I see a lot of bigger players this year that I think are much more... Um, much more useful as hockey players. Whereas last year, I think there were smaller players. Uh, we saw a lot of smaller players slip a lot in the draft that I think didn't deserve to. Um, but I'll be really fascinated to see how this goes, especially once the seasons really get going, if they can. Uh, because I mean, to me, I look at my early, early list here. I mean, there's, I, I look at Zach LaRue in, in Halifax and what I've seen there is a potential high, high end draft pick, but he's 14th on my list. So I think by the time February rolls around, might they, might, things might be a bit clearer. I still think Ratu's the guy at number one, but I mean, there could be 10 players that all jostle around. And I can't remember the last time that, that that's been out in that level. Like 2017, even there was Nico Heischer and there was Nolan Patrick and Heischer kind of came up from sixth ish overall in that year's draft from the beginning of the year and ended up going first overall. But Usually, you know who is going to be the first few names off the board. I honestly don't know, especially with all the things that the the pandemic has has thrown our way. Um, but there's a lot of players that I certainly uh, would take a really good look at early in this year's draft. All of those names you could expect to see on the 2021 Y Hockey Draft Guide at some point. Isn't that right, Tommy? Yes. Yeah. Um, a lot of Swedes, uh, which is which yep. is nice. Uh, well, did I, you know, I, Tommy, did you know this draft was the first time I think ever the Panthers took two Swedes in a single draft? I did not know that, but I'm happy about it. It's uh, also the first time they their first two draft picks were European players. Well, there's another Sasha in this year's draft. Uh, he's he's an American. <laughs> he's an American like uh, Shemilevsky, uh and he's also uh, probably a winger. So, uh, but there's there's a lot of. This is definitely an interesting draft. There's a defenseman named Why Not. So, 
true. Really? I mean, yep. yeah. He so pretty much after a Pokemon. His last name is the defense for picking him. Ah. No, well, no, they named him after a baby evolution of Wobbuffet. I don't yeah. know why they did that. Oh, jeez. Did you expect to hear that on the show today? I'll, I'll get you out of here, Will, as we we're approaching an hour. And, of course, you're incredibly gracious with your time and one of the best people to follow in the draft. What was your one favorite pick of the draft? The pick where you're going, I will ride or die for this pick for as Oof. long as I possibly can. Your favorite pick of all of them in the draft. It could be first round. It could be whatever. What was your favorite I mean, pick? Uh, I mean, I am... I'll give you an early one and a late one. So, I mean, I will ride or die Marco Rossi forever. I, I, I love Twitter has done that. Yeah. In, in I, I love what he brings to the table. I just cannot stop watching him play hockey. I mean, Marat is another one where I really love watching him play, but I look at Marco Rossi play hockey and go, that is a guy who, you know, it, it's happened to me a few times before where there's a player where I've seen so much positive stuff, but people bring up small reasons to be skeptical like the last one I remember was Elias Pettersson. People were saying, oh, his skating isn't good enough to be a high-level NHL player, blah, 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 blah. Uh, whoops. And now look at him. So, I, and, and I remember watching Elias Pettersson. He was my third-ranked player that year. And if I wasn't such a coward, he probably would have been number two. But uh, I, I can't help how I feel uh, sometimes, especially when I was just getting well, started. Well, I think sometimes we're guilty in these draft rankings or watching people just overthinking it because yeah, we're kids. And now but, I think in this case, just like we – we subscribe to Occam's Razor here. Just the simplest explanation is the right one. Just, yeah. just go with it. So um, with Marco Rossi, I ride or die forever. And I, I'm really excited to see if he can be a foundational player for the Wild because I think he can. Um, and then at the end of the draft, I mean, the Carolina Hurricanes drafting Alexander Poshin, 199th overall. I, yeah, I mean, I, I cannot understand an argument that he was the 199th best player in this year's draft. I, especially with some of the names that went off the board ahead of him, I am blown away sometimes when I see that guy play. He's so skilled and he's relentless with his pressure. Um, you know, he needs to tweak things a little bit more. But to me, a lot of it comes down to confidence. He's a volume shooter. He was shooting from low danger a lot, but he was also shooting from medium and high danger a lot as well. But I would try to push him to be confident and say, you have speed and skill. And you are capable of also using line mates if you need to. And I feel like he goes 50% of the way into a situation with real confidence and then just gets rid of the puck one way or the other. And I think that he has all the potential in the world to be a really good NHL player. It's just maybe not for the next three or four seasons. He's going to need to grow a little bit in terms of filling out his frame. He's very, very young. Um, but, you know, I, I he's small, but... He's got the talent and the work ethic, I think, to overcome the shortcomings he has. He, he works hard. He lose, if he loses the puck, he's immediately jumping back into that play and trying to get it back. You know, he uses line mates effectively. He's got great skill. He's a great skater. I, I, I really am a big fan of him, and I'm really excited to see what the Hurricanes can do with him because I, I, people were screaming to draft him for almost 100 picks, I would say. And to see him finally go in the seventh round near the end of the draft – I mean, I'd love for him to prove everyone wrong because he's just got so, so much talent uh, and he's so much fun to watch. So I hope he one day hits the NHL um, because, yeah, I think he's one of those guys that can get fan, gets fans out of their seat. You know what's really funny about the NHL teams now that we're starting to see? These teams have draft brands. You know what I mean? 
Yes. I don't like. I I mean, like in the NFL, we kind of see that. I follow the NFL uh, closely in the NBA draft. You see it, but now the NHL teams are starting to get draft brands. Like the Hurricanes, you go, oh, that's a really Carolina thing they're doing mm-hmm. there, or the Leafs, like, oh, that's a Leafs thing they're doing. You know, and a lot of it's in the positive. It's not necessarily in the negative. You know, like that. that yeah. I, I find that interesting how the NHL has evolved to now a couple of teams have legitimate draft brands. Yes. Like that, I mean, maybe does that mean anything, or is it just a weird oh. observation from following this too closely? A hundred percent, I agree. I mean, I look at you know the last thing I'll say, and I don't. I didn't come on the show to like crap all over the Ottawa Senators. Uh, but... No, you can do that. Their their owner just filed a lawsuit for defamation against an Ottawa Sun reporter. We can do whatever that. Yes, we want. he did. That's true. Uh, um, by I the look way, at... I I, yes. I will sympathize with the Senators because a lot of their problems are very similar to Florida's. I mean, the arena's in the middle of nowhere. And I don't think the arena is in a bad location. But I like I feel legitimately bad. But then you see the Senators do good things. And then you trade for Erica Branson. What the hell are you doing, guys? And then you trade for Josh Brown. What the hell are you doing, guys? Please <laughs> stop. Well, stop making me think you're doing it. Well, it means the Panthers can win games. You know, that's, sure. that's nice. Well, I mean, like every time, like the Panthers had that one game in a couple years ago where there was the lowest attendance or something crazy. And I'm like, it's the Senators on a Tuesday night. Do you think anybody in Broward County gives a mm. crap? Like I feel, I feel bad for Ottawa. They deserve better, but it also subscribes to my theory about ownership. And you haven't listened to this show, Will. And uh, when we talk about ownership, it's a very big deal. And ownership means everything. But when you have a bad owner, I mean, I'm sorry. It doesn't matter what happens with the rest of your team. You're just not going to yeah. win. It's just not right. possible. And then so, that, and that happens with oh. the Senators too, because they 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 do good things, and then you go, oh no, not not. Please don't do that. Yeah, I mean, so with the Senators, I mean, we're talking about draft brands. I mean. Uh, I can't help it, but look at what the Ottawa Senators do in, or have done, I should say, in last year's draft and this year's draft and go, all right, they want big, old players who have questionable mobility and questionable skating, who play hard and grind, grind the game to death. You know, I mean, I think Igor Sokolov has good skill, but I wouldn't have picked him at 61st, especially for a D plus two guy. Eric Engstrand, I have never even heard of the player, but when I went back and looked at some tape after the draft, I mean, he's a big guy who can fight around the net and he's got some okay skill in open ice and he's got a decent shot, but he's a 20-year-old who shot the lights out in the Swedish Junior League and he's played about 15 SHL games with no production to show for it. I mean, it's 155th overall, so you can't be too upset, but again, this is this was to me a draft where the Ottawa Senators could have laid the foundation for what their team is going to look like for the next decade. And I think they came out with a lot of, eh, like kind of, all right, guys. Like, I think Ridley Gregg is going to be a player, maybe not a top six guy that I think they could have added at 26 with guys like Maverick Bork and Brendan Brisson still on the board. Robbie Yarventy is a big risk, but if he works, sure, you could end up with a pretty decent, decent scoring winger. But like, you had the opportunity to land, to me, guys like Marco Rossi or Lucas Raymond, uh, or, or even a Jamie Drysdale. I mean, Jake Sanderson and Jamie Drysdale, we can talk for another hour about comparing those two guys. But, I mean, oh, you look I'm at... I'm glad that the Panthers weren't in a position to draft either, because I'm sure it would have been Tommy Fitz. <laughs> yes. I mean, the, but... The, the things based on what he, what he said, what he likes about defensemen, yeah, it probably would have driven him nuts. Yeah, so I think, I think you look at the names that went off the board after those first four picks for these Senators, and you go, all right, you, it's kind of, to me, undeniable. Jake Sanderson is an acceptable player at five. Uh, but not the player I and many other people would have gone for. Ridley Gregg at 28. I, there are people that I trust who scout the WHL much closer than I, and they say similar things about how Gregg might be a good second, third-round pick, but maybe not really a 28th guy. 
especially for a team that still needs some foundational players. And and Clevin, Sokolov, Engstrand, and Reinhard. I mean, you can only complain so much about those later round picks, but like there were good players on the board and you could have waited and seen what those are. I mean, I don't know if it's a financial thing where they're pushing these bigger guys to just be in the AHL quicker, but we'll have to wait and see. Obviously it's still early, but you want to talk about brand. That is very, very clearly to me, another example of brand in a direction where I don't think I would have gone personally. But they got Trebek to introduce Stutzla. So I mean, we that can't was very that awesome. Much. That's that was the awesome. best thing legitimately the Ottawa Senators have ever done. Yes. And it's it was... all downhill from here. Tommy, do you yep. have any final thoughts on the draft? Nope. Nope. I just want to thank Will again for his for his time and his insight. And we look forward to uh, following 2021 uh, through your lens and through your YouTube videos and tracking and everything that you put together uh, for everyone. Uh, and that uh, Stutzla is now getting surgery and out for eight weeks or something. Yeah, so uh, he even he can't escape uh, the senator's curse with Alex Trebek. I don't know if he's ever been to Ottawa, but yet it's very Ottawa things happening. Uh, please, again, if you don't follow Will, I don't know what you're doing. I apologize for saying that. But you, you got to follow him if you want to talk about the draft. He's one of the best out there. So, uh, Will, where can people find your work? Yes. So uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Scouching, uh, on YouTube as well, same name. Uh, those are where I'm most active. I have an Instagram page as well, scouching underscore will, where it's a little bit, you know, eh, it's, it's somewhat active, but it's more about playing the, uh, the records I might be listening to and such on a given night. Um, but yeah, but, uh, beyond that, uh, you can also, if you want to directly support what I do, you can subscribe on Patreon. There's lots and lots of perks over there. If you want data sheets for draft guys, data sheets for drafted players that are, that are already drafted, uh, Discord server where we can yell and scream about prospects all you want. Uh, lots of other stuff. So that's all worth Tommy, checking. Tommy, I've got a place for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Come on in, man. It's a good time. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm sure he'll, that, I'm sure he'll be there at some point. Yeah, all all that is all. It's a it's a great start to be on Twitter and YouTube, and the rest is all up to you. So uh, definitely start there and uh, continue on from uh, there. I love it when we get to have people on Y Hockey that make us smarter. That's that's something I like to do on this show. <laughs> And because I don't know, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. I just host and edit the show. If you want to talk about audio editing, I can do that. But I mean, beyond that, these these are these are things that are beyond my pay grade. So I, I rely on other people to to make us look smart, and that is uh, well, not to make us look smart. I'm never going to look smart on the show, but it's it's about the other people who come on the show. Thank you again, Will. We are certainly going to talk to you down the line when we get closer to 2021. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Thanks, guys.